Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that says he doubts that whiskey is the answer, but it's worth a shot. Whew. It's Dale. I don't know about all that, <laughs> unless it's Fireball or something. <laughs> Damn, if it's brown liquor, I can't do it. Wild Turkey broke me from that years ago. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> can't handle that hard stuff, man. Ooh, I don't mind some liquor, but if it's hard to, I ain't down with the brown. <laughs> down with the brown. <laughs> Absolutely, man. How's you going, man? I'm good, bud. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm awesome. Awesome on this recording day. <laughs> you got any shout-outs or anything for us? Yeah, man. We got a couple. We had a, we'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Funky CJ96. That is Funky with an N. Funky. <laughs> yeah, we got a five-star, five-star, five-star. Five-star. Review from us. Had a couple of good old boys doing the podcast and game right. Ain't nothing but love from Boone, North Carolina, so we ain't got nothing but love for you, brother. We uh, appreciate the... The five star. We appreciate the mountain love. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. And we'd like to give a shout out to uh, Deborah Dingus for uh, thanks for the love today on her post from International Podcast Day. Yeah, we were recording on International Podcast Day. Ain't that cool? Oh, yeah. And also, uh, I got a little, I got a, I was going to say email and lie about it, but really it was a message today from a friend of the show, Rich Adams. And uh, he just sent this, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, uh, hey, bud, in the midst of, of uh, listening to a Jacob Wetterling episode, you guys did a pretty good job. But he was born in Long Prairie, not Long Falls. So we like to give that correction. And it's, uh, basically, it's easy to mix up, though. Second, he was killed like 30 miles away from where he was kidnapped. I'm kind of just, I ain't reading his word for word. Killed back uh, 30 miles away from where he was kidnapped. So the guy using the bobcat wouldn't be that big a deal as it's a very, very rural area surrounded by farms and farmers. So a lot of guys are working around the clock getting ready for the winter. And uh, Rich says he just lives about 10 miles away from where he's kidnapped and about 20 miles away from where he's killed. So, man, we really appreciate that insight. And thanks a lot for doing that. And uh, yeah. And uh, I just thought that was cool that you dropped us in there and then give us some uh, information on that. And we really appreciate that. We love when we get these messages and emails from people that are that have firsthand knowledge of yeah, some of these cool. cases we we cover. Yeah, he's worried. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I ain't trying to bust your balls. Like, no, nah, man, we really, we love it. Yeah, because, I mean, we get this stuff. We research and look up stuff online, but, you know, some of that stuff can get misreported and yeah. and twisted and turned around. And, you and know. If you're there, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's really cool. Absolutely. So, yeah, Rich, we appreciate it, bud. Yes, sir. Thank you much. Yep. All right, Dale, you got anything else for us? And with that, I'll just give it over to you to put on the the, the big T-shirt hammer. Put the All right, this is the T-shirt. <laughs> this is the T-shirt hammer. Order your T-shirt. Hey, I ordered me one today. Yeah. Yes, sir. Got to be a long sleeve, black, uh, dancing, uh, rip-off shirt coming. And uh, it bought me some stickers. Yeah, go to the website. Go to the store page and order you something. Also, go to Apple Podcast or any other podcast platform that you listen to if they allow it. Give us a rating view. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate it. Heck yeah. We really do. All right, bud. We are going to get into this week's episode. Well, let's do it. Yep. And before we get started, this has a little bit of a North Carolina connection. Yeah, a little bit. It has, actually has a few North Carolina connections that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We like uh, things that happen here in North Carolina, but it didn't doesn't really take place here, but it does have a North, North Carolina connection. Yeah. Well, part of it does. Yep. But anyway, this is the Bishop Family Murders. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. And just a little bit of backstory. Our main guy that we're talking about, his name is William Bradford Bishop Jr. 
Bradford. Yep, he goes by Bradford or Brad. And he was born on August the 1st, 1936, in Pasadena, California. And his parents were Lobelia and William Bradford Bishop Sr. Wow. And I think from an early age, his mama really doted on him Yeah, pretty good. She got him in, I think, a private school, private elementary school. Mm-hmm. Well, his daddy was an old man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was – they had – well, I guess they went through different – different times but sometimes it was really really rich and sometimes not so much so. yeah but they were all high society yes yeah and that's what she loved she was always in the society page and, and wrote for that. the paper i think wrote for wrote a column for the paper i think is what so, she did right. yeah so, yes she yeah. loved the high society she loved they loved the i guess the fame part of it and just being the upper crust yes uh, citizens and he was a only child so you know he was getting yeah he was spoiled i'd imagine so yeah from a very early age but now, Bradford Bishop, he attended South Pasadena High School. Yeah, he was a quarterback. Played football. Yeah. And actually pretty good from what I hear. Mm-hmm. He was an athlete. I think he played some tennis, and yeah. he liked to work out. He liked enjoy hiking. and All the outdoor stuff. Yeah, doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he went to college at Yale. Yeah, he really wanted to go to Southern Cal. So that way he'd still be there and could go to the beach all the time. Because, like, his mom used to pick up him and his friends at the at the private school and take him to the beach during the day and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so he wanted, he was like, well, if I can go to Southern Cal, I'll still hang out with all my friends. And he yeah. was dating uh, one of the cheerleaders. So everything kind of be the same, but he'd still go to college. But he got accepted at, at Yale, and his mom really wanted him to go to Yale yeah. because, you know, that made her look good. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, they, they put out the upper crust people. Who puts down the bottom crust? I don't know. <laughs> Pizza people, <laughs> I, guess. I guess. Good answer. But anyway, at Yale, he went there for I think three years. Then he quit, or he had he took a year off because I think his dad had some financial problems. Yeah, that was one of the one yeah. of the years that the old business was down apparently, or, yeah, or at and, least his his wheels. And he got a job, I think, digging ditches or working for the city or something, digging trenches. Yep. Yeah, but he went back to Yale and he did end up graduating yeah he uh, saved up his money working digging ditches all year but he even tried while he was at Yale to join the football team yeah and it wasn't too good no they already had their players picked they told him yeah which he thought was kind of shitty because he's like well can't even go out for the team you already got them picked so yeah he didn't he was pretty devastated by that yeah I mean he was a uh, actually a good football player mm-hmm. didn't even give him a chance at no. it played some intramural ball but you know that ain't the same as being on the team no he was in a a newspaper club or a newspaper publication too. Yeah. And I think he was a contributor for that, but I think he told his mom that he was part on the staff. Of, yeah, on the staff. Yeah, I think he contributed like what they say, uh twice in five years or something. Yeah. Or four four or five years. Yeah. But it still counts, I guess. I'm on the staff, but I've only been yeah. there twice. <laughs> okay. But uh he did receive a bachelor's degree in history from Yale University and he went on to get his Master of Arts degree in international studies from Middlebury College. And Bishop had been reported to get a bachelor's degree in American studies from Yale and another master's degree in Italian from Middlebury College. So he was a highly educated man. Yeah, he's racking them up, isn't he? Yeah. And he, his way of thinking was to get these degrees and get his education where he can make better and make more money than everybody else. Right. That was his goal, to be... An upper-class citizen. Yes. Yeah. And he also got a master's degree in African studies from UCLA. 
So he was very, very educated. Mm-hmm. Now, he graduated from Yale in 1959, and he married his high school sweetheart, Annette Weiss. And Dale, they had three sons together. Right. Now, he did join the United States Army after they got married. Yeah, I don't think he had a lot of choice, do you? Mm-hmm. I, think, I don't know if he had a whole lot of choice there. I think that's basically when he still had the draft and all this stuff back then. Yeah, and I think uh, even college students, they weren't exempt from the draft. Right. After college, you got to go. Yeah. But he did join the United States Army, and he spent four years working in counterintelligence. Yep. And he was able to speak five languages, Dale. Crazy. Yep. He was fluent in five languages, English, Italian, French, Serbo-Croatian, and Spanish. Right. Yeah, I think that was one of his first jobs, wasn't it? Yeah. Doing a... Surveillance on uh, Serbia or Croatia, uh, no, Yugoslavia, I think it was. Yeah. Now, after leaving the Army, Bishop joined the U.S. State Department and served in the Foreign Service in many posting overseas. Well, that would, you know, knowing all them languages is definitely going to help you there. Yeah. And this included postings in cities of Mar- Verona, Milan, and Florence. And this is where he'd done his postgraduate work at the University of Florence in mm-hmm. Italy. Well, you know he loved there. Yeah. And this was from 1968 to 1972. Mm-hmm. And he also uh, served in Africa, including posts in Addis Ababa and in Ethiopia and in Botswana. Ooh. From 1972 to 1974. Yeah, I think there he was even like serving some kind of like a ambassador. Or uh, he was under an ambassador, like, I guess, what? even when he was doing the ambassador job when the ambassador went there, whatever you call that, the junior ambassador. Assistant ambassador. Yeah, there you go. The AA. Something like that, because yeah. I, I think he really wanted to be an ambassador somewhere, but I don't think uh, Africa was where he wanted to be. Yep. Now, Bishop's last posting, which began in 1974, was at the State Department headquarters in Washington, D.C., and he was the assistant chief in the Division of Special Activities and Commercial Treaties. Hmm. That's a heck of a title. Heck yeah. And he was living with his family there in Bethesda, Maryland. And he was living with his wife and three sons and his mother, Labilia, because uh, Bradford's dad had passed away. Yeah. And a little bit before all this got going, you know, there was times where he went back for a high school reunion and stuff. And, then, you know, he was having a good time. And then he got to talking to some of his old buddies about what they were making. And they were making more money than him. Yeah. And... He couldn't believe it, so he's like, "What the hell?" So he kept asking people, and all of them were making five to ten thousand dollars more a year than he was. And I think he was making about twenty-one thousand a year, which today would be like one hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, this was in nineteen seventy-four. So then, yeah, and then they had all this stuff and, and making all this money, and he just couldn't believe it. Yeah, with a did. He felt like he was above all them with all his education and working basically as a, a spy and a diplomat and all this stuff for the government. But mm-hmm. so after uh, his dad passed away and his mom started, she wanted to live with him because she didn't want to be by herself. She footed a lot of the bills for them to help them look like they had more than they had to make. I think his dad good. had a pretty good inheritance. Yeah, but left them an inheritance. Or it was her, it was his mom's. I think. Yeah, yeah. She ended up putting $30,000 on a home there in Bethesda. Yeah, you're right. That's the only way they could get it. Yeah. And this was a prestigious neighborhood. I mean, you just can't just live in this neighborhood. You have to you have, to have money to live there. And this is what Bishop liked. He liked being in high society and better than everybody else. Right. Yep. And he didn't like anybody having more than him. No. No. Even when – said even when he playing games – 
far as ping pong and tennis or anything else. He was always had to win and then berate whoever he beat over it. Yeah. Yeah. He was always the that guy. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody that was his enemy or anybody like that, he would even, he even said he wanted to put them in their place. Yeah. So, he was very, very arrogant, very narcissistic. Right. If he wasn't the best, it wasn't good enough. Exactly. So we're just giving you that a little bit about Bradford Bishop, about how he was and his his mindset right going into all this and in the place where he worked everything was really promotion based you know and if you were there so long and you didn't get the promotion and whenever the cycle comes through it was basically like you wasn't good enough and you basically was out and or it looked bad to your coworkers they knew you know stuff so there's a lot of pressure on him too yep for to try to get to where he was going but he was in Washington State Department, mm-hmm. and he had a desk job. And right. he, I don't think he liked that too good. Not at all. Yeah, no. he wanted. He didn't really like being in the states. He wanted to be probably back in Italy. I think that was his most favorite yeah. place. He wanted to be abroad somewhere and traveling, skiing, and Tennyson. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, Dale, we're going to jump to March the first, nineteen seventy-six. All right. Now, this is where uh, Bradford had learned that he wasn't going to get a promotion at work. Yeah. It had been posted, and he didn't get that promotion. So he was out of that cycle. Yeah, he was pretty irate about that. Yeah, he, he was. He Even had, though there's rumors that he knew about two weeks before the, the paper came out that he wasn't going to get it, but I guess he figured it was still a chance. Yeah. Now, their office at the State Department is located there in Foggy Bottom, and he told his secretary that day that he didn't feel well. He thought he was getting the flu, so yeah. he told her. So I'm going home. Yep. He was just really pissed off. Yep. And he left there, and he went to his bank, and there he withdrew $400. Yep. And I think that's all the money they had in their account. Yep, cleaned it out. Yep, which I don't know how much $400 is today. It's probably worth a few thousand. Yeah, I don't know. And after he left the bank, he went to the Montgomery Mall. There he went into a Sears, and he bought a sledgehammer. It was like a small um, two-pound, like a ball-peen hammer, sledgehammer. So it was like a 10-inch, you know, like a... Not like a log splitting sledgehammer, but yeah. Anyway, a, with a small handle. Yeah, and a gas can. Still, two pound hammers, pretty damn big. But yeah. Okay. And he bought a gas can. Yep. And there he left, and he filled up his gas can, and is the tank of his '74 Chevrolet station wagon, which mm-hmm. was a, I think, a gas station just right near the mall. Right. And after he left there, he drove down to Pox Hardware. And Dale, this is where he purchased a shovel and a pitchfork. Right. Yeah. Like he's going to go do some yard work or something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but when he got home, it was about 7 30, 8 o'clock. This is what the police believe is the timeline on this. Right. And when he got home, his wife was cooking supper. Uh, everything seemed normal. When he, Even when he got home, he expected the house to be neat and orderly. Oh, yeah. Everything to be in its place. Demanded. Yeah, very, very demanded. Even with three boys running around. Yeah, everything had to be put into place. But at this time, the boys were, I think they were already getting ready for bed. You know, Mm -hmm. they were in their pajamas. And uh, the oldest boy, I think he went by Bradford or Brad. Yeah. He was 14 times. He was on the phone with his girlfriend. Yeah, he was Bradford of the third. And Bradford Jr. picked up the phone, the extension, and told him to wrap it up. Yep. Get off the phone. phone. Yep. Yeah, he came in and uh, seen what was going on. Like you said, you know, they had supper going and stuff, and the kids were getting ready for bed. So he went upstairs and put his hammer away, the stuff he had bought, and just stashed it away. Put it in his briefcase, I think. Yeah, yep. well, not not all the stuff, but the but the, the hammer. And he changed in his pajamas, too. So and then when – I guess he came back down, and they probably all had supper or whatever. And then uh, his mom always walked a dog. They had uh, – 
golden retriever named Leo. Leo, yeah. Yeah, and she always walked the dog about the same time every night. So when his mom got her coat on and stuff and went out and took the dog out for a walk, that's when he went and got the hammer and come back down. And when he came back down, Annette was in the living room. Um, she was uh, reading a book, allegedly reading a book for an art. She had been taking an art class at uh, at the college. So since his mom had been living with him and watching the boys, she was doing something for herself and trying to get a degree from the college in art. She had extra time to do this. I think it's something she was wanting to do. Right, because she never had to do nothing. You know, He always just told her that he was better than her and all this and didn't end up berate her the whole time. So she was finally getting to do something for herself. Yeah, I don't think he liked that at all. No. So while his mom was outside, he went up, got the hammer, come back down, and she didn't even know what hit her. He came up and just smashed her skull. And then uh, proceeded to hit her several more times, even though it was uh, said that probably the first blow killed her, but he just kept on swinging. Yeah. And then uh, he had walked out of the room, meanwhile, and then that's when he went and, uh, to check on the boys. He picked up the phone and found out he was on the phone and told her to wrap it up. And uh, I guess he was going to go up there, but being it had taken him a little bit longer than he thought, his mom had come back in the door. Yeah. And when she came back in the door... She noticed the blood. Yeah, she knows something was wrong and run in and seen blood everywhere and then seen him all splattered in blood. And she screamed and went and run and uh, locked herself in the bathroom. And that's when, basically, it was a scene from um, The Shining. Yeah. You know, he just busted through the door and reached his hand in and opened it. Now, there's different... Um, thoughts on this they said some people say he hit her once with the hammer some people didn't say he didn't hit her at all with the hammer but well that's not what killed her said she had a bruise on her forehead so you can take it however you want to take it i mean but, she could have hit her head on the door going in the bathroom trying to get away from or her. when she fell on the floor because basically she had died like basically had a heart attack i think yeah. he said you know she died from something like that from just being in terror or something you know well meanwhile while all this stuff going on bradford had heard him smashing the bathroom door down and he's he a 14 year old yes so he comes in to confront his dad and he's a pretty big kid but not big as his dad so that didn't go well so he took the hammer and smashed him to, and killed him too i think bradford jr he was trained in hand-to-hand combat too wasn't he oh yeah yeah so he you know his family wasn't no match for him at all no especially with a two-pound hammer yeah, he killed his 14-year-old. Yeah, killed him. And then he went in the bedroom of the two younger boys, and I think they shared a bedroom. Bunk beds, yes. Yeah. Yep. And he went in, and I don't know which one we, got it first, but he killed both of them. With the hammer to the head. With the hammer to the head. and uh, They said the in the top bunk, whichever boy was in the top bunk, yeah. they were marks with the hammer in the ceiling, I guess, where yeah. he was drawing back. Drawing back so far, yeah. And I believe it was um, Bradford Jr. that the one he had hit in the face so much that he couldn't even wasn't even recognizable. Yeah, yeah, man. So he's basically went in and killed his wife, his mom, and all three of his kids. Killed his whole family. Yeah, with yeah. a hammer. Now we ain't talking about you know. I mean, it's like I was just thinking mindset. It's not like he shot him. It's not like a far off thing. This was up close and personal with a, a damn hammer, man. Yeah, that's that's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess anything you know, is, but damn, how did he do that? I've heard it reported, too, that you know his mom, I hope she died of a heart attack or something like that, because it, it even reported that you know he didn't hit her. Right. And if he'd done that on purpose or... or I don't know. You know. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really know, actually. I mean, she had a bruise on her forehead, but they said they didn't think it was from the hammer, but we don't, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, that's not definitely not what killed her. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty sad. Yeah. But after all the killings, he went and took a shower. Right. And he then proceeded to load the bodies into the back of their Chevrolet station wagon. Mm-hmm. And he left town. Yeah. He grabbed his go bag, which had whatever in it, you know, 
I guess that's what you call them. A bug out bag, go yeah, bag. Yeah. Well, know. he worked for the State Department, and I think they all had like uh, go bags and yeah, stuff they would need if they had to get Just out. a bag packed. They're always ready to go just in case anything happens. Probably had a couple of clothes. I figured some clothes in it and probably some money, maybe a gun because he did have a 38. Medications, anything like Medication, that. Medication, anything that you need to go and don't have time to do nothing, you just grab it and go. Yeah. 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 You grab that and loaded the bodies in the back of the. Yep. Station wagon. Cover him up with a blanket and grabbed a dog. He did take the dog with him. Yeah. Took Leo with him and put yeah. him in the front seat. Yeah. And I think they even said that this was kind of a, a help to him, you know, because he had to go through some tolls and stuff. Right. And there was no electronic lean as old, somebody sitting in a boot. Yeah. So if you've seen the dog, you know, this would be kind of a little help. Deterrent from looking in the back, maybe. Maybe. Maybe so. But he drove about 275 miles. In the station wagon to a densely wooded swamp. It was about five miles south of Columbia, North Carolina. Which just blows my mind. Yeah. And where on March the 2nd, he dug a shallow hole and he piled the bodies in that hole. And then he didn't really just pile them. He threw them in there. Yeah. Yep. And I wonder if he really thought he was going to be able to dig a hole big enough for all of them. I mean, and I've, said, I've heard people say, you know, it was only about two and a half, two and a half feet deep. But that's a pretty damn big hole digging by yourself. Yeah. You know, I don't know what kind of... Ground. In the middle of the night. Yeah. After you drove that damn far. Yeah. All night long. Yeah, that'd be rough. But then he piled the bodies in the hole and he poured the gas on them mm-hmm. that he had in the can. And he set them on fire. And it had been reported, too, that... I don't know how they know this, but he had singed the hair on his hand. I don't know how they know that. Yeah, that's what I... It had been reported. I was wondering though, the same thing. And it was reported, too, that he had smoked a cigarette standing there, which... You know, me and you discussed this before. Yeah, like, you might get find a cigarette, but how are you going to know it burns hand? Yeah, I know. I, I mean, you're going to find – I don't know. I don't know how they determined that. But that's what it was reported. He singed the hair on his hand. Right. You know, and I've wondered, did, did he fill up the gas can to do this with, or did he just fill up the gas can to put in the car in case he had to get gas somewhere and he didn't want to stop? I don't know. Now, I know that uh, researchers have done the math on this type of car and the gas mileage, and he was able to make the trip without having to stop. Mm-hmm. But just barely. But I wonder if if he knew how far it was going, just in case he needed some gas, he bought an extra, or if he was you know bought it for this reason. Because it, it's kind of odd that he would plan to to do this, you know. Yeah. Now it wasn't long after that there was a North Carolina forest ranger had noticed heavy smoke. Yep. Billing up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And he headed out to investigate it, and there he discovered in the scene that was reported to the local police. And an investigation was quickly underway. He found the bodies laying there in that hole. Right. Well, it said that, you know, first they thought it might be in somebody burning hogs because it said, that, you know, if, if there was a local oh. farmers there had diseased pig or whatever, they would, you know, burn, burn them like that. Yeah. And so that's what they thought they were going to. By the time he got there to check it out, there was about a three-acre fire from this. Yeah. This had caught the, the brush and stuff around it on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, once they got that contained, he noticed a pile of dirt and went over to it. And once he got to it, he could see it was more than a pile of dirt. Yeah, it was bodies in there, clothed bodies. Yeah. And they still had the clothes on that they had had mm-hmm. when they were killed. Yep. And found with the bodies was the gas can, the pitchfork, and the shovel that Bishop had bought at Pox Hardware. And it still had part of a label on that shovel. Yeah. It had OCH. HDW. Right. It was written on it. And they got to researching that and they found out that it came from Pox hardware. Yeah. So basically the P had been burned off, maybe off the label. Yeah. So it's spelled P-O-C-H. P-O-C-H, yeah. And they were able to trace it back to a local Bethesda hardware store. Right. And some of the victims' clothing had labels from expensive department stores there in Bethesda, Maryland, Dale. Yep. 
you know, his mom had on a jacket from Saks Fifth Avenue. Yeah. For a fur collared jacket. And they sort of put this together. North Carolina police had reached out to the Bethesda police, but at the time they were no missing persons reports or anything like that. They, right. You know, nothing going on. So it's kind of weird. They're very, very weird. And Dale, after he got this done, lighting everything on fire, I guess it was getting close to daylight. And he bugged out before, I guess, sun come up and he, the car yeah. could be recognized. Yeah, I wondered, you know, if, if that's what happened. He just got to, you know, run out of time and just left there. If he thought everything was going to burn up so he didn't take nothing with him or – but nothing I just did. wondered, you know, make a lot of he sense. set them on fire. You know, if he just dumped the bodies out in the middle of nowhere. And left. Yeah. They probably never been found. No. Yeah. Not for years. I mean, somebody eventually might have come it, across them, but not not just a few. He'd have a, he'd have a longer getaway time. Not while he was still on fire, you know. Yeah, because right. they noticed the fire right away yeah. as the sun was coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was three acres almost on fire, so, you know. That's a pretty good size fire. Exactly. But he left and he bugged out pretty quick. Yep. And the last sighting was of Bishop was in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Now imagine that. Imagine that. It was the same day. So after he set the bodies on fire, Dale, he left and he got out quick. Yep. And how far was it from Columbia to Jacksonville, North Carolina? Uh, it's about 132 miles, about two and a half hours or so. Mm-hmm. And it was the same day. And according to witnesses, he had still had the family dog with him and possibly was accompanied by a woman described as dark skin. Yeah, he stopped and bought a pair of tennis shoes at a sporting goods store. Yep. And he used his credit card. Mm. So it, you know, definitely traced back to him. Yeah. Unless, not smart. No, not smart at all. But yeah, I just wonder who this one woman was. Yeah, I know. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, he could have killed the family there in Bethesda and left them. Mm-hmm. But why did he come to North Carolina? Why? Yeah. And, and why bring them with him? Yeah. I don't understand it's that. It's kind of odd. Yeah, some there was a reason he came to North Carolina. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, especially this had that woman with him. It was dark skin. Cause, yeah. Now you know he was known to be a. Yeah. <laughs> he was known to have uh, several lady friends. Lady friends. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't think and nobody knew about it, but he definitely had an affair going on. You know, right before everything happened, and then it was known from other coworkers said he had had several that nobody ever knew about. Yeah, especially him going to foreign countries and. You know, Always going. Yeah. yeah. But the owner of the athletic store even described the woman and said she was outside with the dog, mm-hmm. described the dog, and it, it was just looked just like Leo, yep. you know, down to a T. Right. He thought it was a golden, I mean, an Irish setter. Right, because you know, Leo had more of a red tint. But he thought they were a couple. Yeah, and it was probably something to kind of make him look a little better, you know. It's him and a woman and their dog. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Nothing real, nothing to see here. Yeah. Except for the bloody back of the car. <laughs> yeah. Now, on March the 10th, jumping a little bit ahead, there was a neighbor of Bishop's that had contacted the police after not seeing the family for a while. Yeah, I think uh, what happened is uh, the lady who played tennis with Annette had went over to see what was going on because she hadn't heard from her in a while. Yeah. And said she, she went and the, the back door was open. And so she opened the door, went in, she saw some food in the pot there or whatever. So she just shut the door or whatever. But it was kind of weird. And her son had told her that he had went over there and saw some blood on the, some uh, dried blood on the front porch, or he thought it was. So, so she called the cops and had yeah. them come do a welfare check. Yeah. 
And when they went over there, that's when they found a gruesome scene. Yeah, now, I don't know if this lady locked the door when she left, but I also heard that they got a key from a local babysitter that had it. So I don't know if which one was true, if, if the door still was open, or if they got a key from her, or if they got a key from – anyway, they got access into the house some way or another. But you know what? I bet somebody listening to this that lives 10 miles away will probably let us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, it will. But well, yeah. see, you got that wrong. Yeah, they will let us know. <laughs> but anyway, that's when the, the detectives come over, and he was he was nearby there, and he didn't think there was going to be nothing of it come over because it was just a, a welfare check, and that's when he opened the door and went in. And uh, pretty soon he realized this was not going to be just a welfare check. It was no. uh, blood and, and carnage all over. And uh, it was pretty bad when they got into checking checking around and it was pretty bad you know splatter on all the walls and then places said in the and said that even uh bradford must have had so much gore and stuff on him when he went and took a shower that there were bone fragments and stuff in the shower yeah when he went and took a shower so he was really busting some skulls yeah that's that's bad yeah that's awful now get this dale on march the 18th bishop's station wagon was found abandoned at an isolated campground in Elkmont, Tennessee. Tennessee? Yep. So he went. He left Columbia, North Carolina, went to Jacksonville, and then went into Tennessee, into Elkmont. And Elkmont is at the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and it's a few miles just from the Appalachian Trail. And the car contained, when they got into it, the car contained dog biscuits, a bloody blanket, a shotgun, an axe, and a shaving kit, and Bishop's medication mm. yeah we're gonna talk about and the trunk's spare tire well was full of blood yeah you know it was all draining there the whole time it was so. draining down in there mm-hmm. man and the witness believed that the car had been there since anywhere between march 5th to march 7th mm. so bishop had he had a big head start yeah i think he pulled it up to like an abandoned cabin to what actually had been boarded up but he just left it parked in front of it and said it wasn't uh very unusual to see cars parked there for several days during this time. Mm-hmm. You know, people coming and staying there. And the police had even thought that Bishop may have joined a flow of hikers on the Appalachian Trail right. and attempted to follow his scent with bloodhounds, but didn't find anything. Yeah, I think they, they actually they started the bloodhound out and it went up and went around a little bit and then kind of circled back down and basically come back, back to where they were and then stopped. So mm-hmm. like, basically like he got in a car or something with somebody else and left, but you yep. never know really. Yeah. And it was just the following day after they found the car, there was a grand jury indicted Bishop on five counts of first-degree murder and several other charges. Right. So I'm sure, you know, I mean, they, I guess they couldn't prove that he did it, but everything looked like he did it. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially they, they knew the stuff he had bought and they knew what happened and they found the carnage in the house and then him going and finding a car. So it's not like he could say that somebody else did it and took him off, but don't really know because we can't find him. Now we're going to get into a little bit of a – some of his motives and different things like that. But it was reported in a 1977 Washington Post article that there was no evidence of infidelity or financial or job problems. But I believe there was. Yeah. It'd been, <laughs> but it had been reported later that there was. There yeah. was a lot of stuff like that going on. Because, you know, I think the... Yeah, this is 77, so they hadn't really had much time to dig into it here. Yeah, and uh, Bishop's mother, I think, was even running out of her money that her dead husband had left her right yep so i think i think money was getting tight for him trying to keep up lifestyle yeah. yep it was getting tough for him 
And it had been reported that Bishop's career had caused some marital tension, and he was unhappy at his desk job mm-hmm. and interested in another farm posting. But his wife, like, like we talked about, I don't think she wanted to move across. No, she didn't. She was happy. She really liked uh, him and his mom staying with her because they, really, they were pretty tight. You know, and made everything much easier. She helped with the boys and the yep. cooking and all that stuff. So she really liked to just kind of stay at home thing, and that's what she wanted to do. Yep, get her degree and just just have that that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Yeah, yeah. And most sources agree that the bishops were experiencing some financial issues, like we said, but there was a disagreement as to the severity. But the Post reported in 1986 that the issues were mild and familiar to most upwardly mobile families hmm. but john douglas everybody knows john douglas he's the big fbi profiler he described them as nothing terribly unusual for people in their 30s living in that kind of neighborhood yeah everybody's trying to keep up with everybody else. and in 2013 uh, bethesda magazine reported that the irs had been auditing the family's taxes for a while hmm. so they've been having some financial troubles and the existence of an audit has not been confirmed by the RAS or anything like that, but it had been reported that it was. Why in the heck would they come out in 2013 and say they've been looking at them and everybody's been dead since then? Exactly. Taking their own time digging up this case, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Now, just a little bit of profile on Bradford Bishop. The FBI states that he was, like we talked about, was an avid outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed camping, hiking, and Reports that he even had a pilot's license. Yeah, from when he was in Africa. Yeah, so he could go around from place to place. Yep. He, he flew a uh, flew a small plane. Yep. Yeah. So he enjoyed working out, riding motorcycles. He's very active. Mm-hmm. And get this, Dale, uh, Bradford Bishop has a history of depression and insomnia. Yeah. And having been afflicted with both conditions, he was taking Cirax. Yeah, and he'd been taking it for years. Yeah. So I'm sure it had some kind of effect on him. Yep. And it had been reported that he'd been seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah, and that was kind of odd to me, too. Well, not odd, but him working where he was, you know, he was seeing a psychiatrist sometimes. Well, it was up to two times a week for yeah. over five years. And keeping that um, kind of down low, yeah. on the down low because he would have been let go from his job. They didn't like that. They yeah, didn't want that. Mm. They didn't want that, and he wouldn't have had any more, uh, you know, like uh, foreign clearance and security clearance and all mm-hmm. that stuff would have been revoked. Yeah. Yep. But he was taking his uh, – antidepressant medication Mm -hmm. but they said he loved dogs and he also enjoyed enjoyed his scotch whiskey (laughs) yeah down with them around (laughs) no no but it's been reported that bishop has a six inch vertical scar on his lower back from a surgery Mm -hmm. he has a cleft chin a facial mole on his left cheek and he also may have his father's smith and wesson 38 special i think this was a inheritance from his father yeah yeah they never found that and he was also very fond of his Yale class ring. Yeah. Well, and never found out either. No. You know, they did find a shotgun and some other stuff in the car, but yep. they didn't find his pistol. Yep. And Bradford Bishop has a diplomatic passport. Now, Dale, when he worked at the State Department, he had access to blank passports. Yeah, and the special ink. Yeah. So, technically, he could have made his own. So, well, he could have made several. Pa- uh, passports, yeah. Just depending on, you know, because we don't really know um, how long he had been planning this or not planning this. We don't know if it was like that day he snapped and went by all this stuff, went home, killed everybody, or if he'd been thinking about this for since he didn't know he's going to get that promotion or what. Yeah. So it's kind of hard, you know, to say if, if you don't really know, 
I don't know what you're going to say. Um, not, not really if you don't really know, but we don't know when he'd snap. So if he wasn't already thinking ahead, why would he have the passports? You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I think him snapping was him not getting that job. Yes. And then uh, – But he wouldn't uh, – went and made some passports and then went on. No. So he would have had to done that before time. Yeah, and I think the situation at home with his mom and his wife running a household, his mom having the purse strings, you know – having the money, keeping up the lifestyle, and, and him not being able to do that for that family. Right. I think that really hit him hard. Oh, yeah. So I think this was weighing on him for a while. Right. But I don't know if he would have had the, the fourth forethought to make fake passports. You know, he had his diplomatic one, and it was never found. All yeah. everybody else was found at the house, but not his. So I'm sure he had it with him and probably had it in his bag. Yeah. So I don't know that even though he had access to, I don't know if he would have had the forethought to make some fake ones or yeah. if he would have had the time. Yeah. Though it is possible. Uh, he could have planned this out for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it had been reported that he had been in contact with somebody in prison. And he had been wanting to hire somebody to kill his family. Yeah. That was uh, something I had heard too, yeah. And I think Supposedly my- it was supposed to happen when he was going to Geneva. Yeah, and he'd hired somebody to come and do gutter work for him. Right, it was coming to coming fake gutter guys. Yeah, it's going and, to kill uh, the family. Yeah, and something about when he was going to Geneva, so it was supposed to happen while he was gone and make it look like a robbery gone bad. So when he got back from Geneva, he was thought somebody from the State Department was going to meet him at the airport and give him the bad news. And so he got off the plane, walked up, and there was nobody, and went home and walked in. Hey, hey, and everybody's there. The family, in. yeah. In the family, because he's like, he knew mm. it didn't happen. Yeah, she goes, you know, your gutter guys never showed up. So, yeah, so you're right. Maybe he's been planning this for a while, so he could have already had something for ready to get the hell out anyway, even if he didn't do it. Yeah. So I guess he got back, figured he had to do it himself. Exactly. So it's possible. Yep, but uh, Bradford Bishop had approximately one week of advance time before the police and authorities began looking for him, Dale. Yeah. And it had been suggested that he could have traveled on his diplomatic passport like like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And, be anywhere in the world. Yep. And there was a special agent for the FBI. His name was Steve Vogt. He stated in 2014 that neither Bishop's wallet nor passport had ever been found. Mm-hmm. And it had also been speculated that Bishop may have had intelligence training in the 1960s, which may have helped him evade detection in well, 1976. Well, I'm sure with his all this training and stuff he's doing, you know. Yeah. Diplomatic and spy Army and training. Spy and, yeah. and all that mess. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he's got a lot of specialized training. All right, now, since 1976, Bishop has allegedly been cited a number of times in various European countries, including Italy, Belgium, England, Finland, the Netherlands, Germany, Greece, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland. Longdale. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cleveland County. (laughs) Kaiser. Yeah. But there are three credible sightings that we're going to talk about that are noted by the United States Marshal Service. And the first one was in July of 1978. And a Swedish woman who said she had collaborated with Bishop while they were working in Ethiopia, she reported she had spied him twice in a public park in Stockholm during the span of one week. Hmm. And she stated that she was absolutely certain that the man was Bishop. Uh, She didn't contact the police at the time because she had not realized that he was wanted for murder in the United States. So until after that... You know, I guess time had passed, and he, if that was him, he probably wasn't there anymore. Right. Yep. 
And then in January of 1979, Bishop was reported seen by a former U.S. State Department colleague. And this was in a restroom in Sorrento, Italy. And when the colleague greeted Bishop, who he thought was Bishop, he said he'd been aging and had a little bit more gray hair, but he looked him eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And he even asked him, he said, hey, you're Brad Bishop, aren't you? And the man responded in a, he said, a distinctly American accent. He said, oh, no, and fled. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. But, I mean, he worked with him, so, you know, who knows? Yeah, it could be. But these are the three credible instances. The, the most credible that they got listed anyway. Now, on September the 19th of 1994, on a Basel train platform, a neighbor who had known the bishops in Bethesda was on vacation and reported that she had seen Bradford Bishop just from a few feet away. I think they were on a train, and he was on another train that was side-by-side. Side. Mm. And he, they spotted each other through a window, and he even looked over at them, and she even said that he started laughing. Mm. Yeah. But she described him as well-groomed and said that he was getting into the passenger car. Well, could have been, I guess. I don't know, though, 1994? Yep, could have been. In 2010, the authorities believe that Bishop was living in Switzerland or Italy or elsewhere in Europe or possibly California, and he may have worked as a teacher or become involved in criminal activities. So, you know, he was in, he was fluent in five languages, so mm -hmm. if he was overseas, he could be teaching a language. He could be teaching English. He could do whatever, yeah. Yeah. He could just blend right in. And authorities revealed in 2010 just that before the murders, Bishop had been, like we talked about, corresponding with a federal prison inmate named Albert Kenneth Bankston. And he was in the United States Penitentiary in Marion, but they don't know why or how or what, why he was doing this. Right. I think they found some letters from Bankston back in 76, but it was also known that Bankston was known to write several and people in up in Washington stuff, you know, saying he can do this or he knew this stuff, trying to get his sentence lowered. Yeah, just to get some free time. Yeah, so, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff he did, they didn't really look into hard. Yep. But Bishop had evidently instructed Bankston to send letters to the State Department office address. And the America's Most Wanted TV show posted the last letter on his website, which Bankston mailed 16 days after the murder without knowing that they had happened or that Bishop was a fugitive on the run. Right. So, so that's kind of odd. So even if he was in on maybe that failed attempt or whatever, he didn't know what was going on. Yep. So maybe it was just bullshit anyway, but we don't know. But Bankston died in 1983. So we'll never know. No, uh, before the law enforcement discovered his connection to Bishop, which was in 93. Ten years later. Yeah. yeah. So they don't, they, they'll never know. He's really on that one. Yep. <laughs> now, in 2014, this hadn't been long ago, the body of an unidentified man re resembling Bradford Bishop had been killed by a car while walking along an Alabama highway in 1981. And the body was exhumed by the FBI. Yeah, it said that the, the photos look really, really similar. And we got a picture of that uh, man that was hit by the car. We can post it online. We okay. post it on our social medias. But a DNA test in indicated the man was not Bishop. Right. But I've seen it, and he looks he looked a lot like him. Hmm. Yep. And in 2011, the FBI used fingerprints to determine that reports 
bishop had died in Hong Kong or France, but these are also false. Yeah, they just false. Yeah, this is kind of like them other cases, you know, where you got five hundred people calling in all these sightings and seeing them stuff, and none of it's true. Yep. And in 2014, the request of the FBI forensic artist Karen Taylor, she created an age progression sculpture to suggest what Bishop might look like at around age 77. And using Taylor's sculpture, several alternative images were created by Lisa Shepard to show in addition to the facial hair and glasses. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, we got some pictures of that, too, we're going to post. Right. All right, Dale, we're going to move just a little bit forward. We're going to move to this year. Yep, crazy. Yep. In 2021, just this year, Kathy Gilchrist, who was adopted, claimed she found through a DNA testing service, 23andMe, she discovered that Bradford Bishop was her biological father. That's crazy. Yeah. And where does she live? She lives in North Carolina. Look at there. Yep. She lives in Carolina Shores, North Carolina. Crazy. And just a little bit more on this, just this week. Yeah. September 27th, 2021, the FBI confirms. Three days ago, matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy Gilchrist is accused killer William Bradford Bishop's daughter. Hmm. I guess uh, she's lucky she was uh, adopted. Yeah. I bet she wasn't expecting this when she went to her 23andMe mm-hmm. results and looked up who he was. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I've even read an interview with her. She said she didn't know by spitting in a tube she'd get all this information. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think he had, well, he had some uh, relations when he was at Yale. So this was a a relationship he had with a woman before he was married to Annette. Hmm. But the mother, I think she had just recently passed away, her biological mother. But yeah, Bradford Bishop's biological daughter is living here in North Carolina. Pretty neat. Very, very crazy. Yeah. So that uh, gives another North Carolina twist on this. Yes, too. All right, what are your thoughts on Bradford Bishop? Do you think he's still alive out there? No. He'd be 83 years old today. No, I don't think he is. You don't think he is? Now, at one time, he was on the uh, FBI's 10 Most Wanted list. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they dropped him on the, that and had a flood of phone calls and stuff, but you know how that is. But Yeah, actually, he was added to the... 10 most wanted list in April of 2014. I mean, he'd been... Why in the hell wait that long? Yeah, why wait that long? You know, you'd think if he would have done it back when they were looking for him, they, in probably, the 70s. Would have, they probably would have found him. Yeah. Well, maybe, but a whole lot better chance. I just heard that maybe he had... They found some solid information right. in 2014. Yeah, I don't know about this. Um, uh, you don't never know what happened. Did he get out of the car in, in Tennessee and walk up there and shoot himself with that 38 they never found? Or did he get in the car with this unknown woman? Did she pick him up in another car? Or was it somebody else and they flew off somewhere? Did he make her a passport? You know, he could have done that for whoever he was. I mean, there had to be some reason he came to North Carolina. He just didn't drive to four hours overnight to bury bodies in the dam. You know, yeah. there had to be a reason. And drive to Jacksonville to buy, buy a pair of tennis shoes. Yeah. You know, unless that woman was down around that area. That's what to, I'm thinking. She had to be uh, from that area. And he had, yeah. So, and then they dropped the car off in Tennessee, which is another seven hours away from where they yeah. were. So, that's what, that's kind of what I think. He came down here and met somebody, had something going on. And then, uh, of course, everybody's going to ask what happened to the dog. Yeah. So, you know, they said that they found a dog 
there's well there's different stories but the one we going with is that uh somebody found the dog just wandering around where they left the car and uh somebody took him in and give him a good give home him a good home yeah so but just a little side note when the car was found in gatlinburg tennessee it was found by dwight yeah. mccarter so dwight mccarter was the park ranger that assisted in looking for dennis martin when he disappeared which was one of our episodes yeah so a little, little tie in there that's pretty neat yep yeah go back and check that episode out too it's pretty cool it's amazing we do these episodes and how much intertwining yeah, yeah. things tie into other episodes that just blows my mind it's man. really cool yep yep that's why i like doing this north carolina stuff yep there's a lot of people dig when we do local stuff so well this does have a north carolina a couple of times oh yeah yeah especially this north carolina chick this his daughter now living here yeah that's really cool very very cool all right dale that is the bishop family murders yep Nobody knows where he is and whatever happened to him. He yep. could be on the run yet or he could be dead. Who knows? Yep. He could be with Brian Laundry. <laughs> the dog going to get here. Yep. All right, Dale, we're going to get out of here. Alrighty. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.